If you turn in your Bibles to John uh, 15, it's very simple what Jesus teaches us here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. If you had an orchard, that was your livelihood, there's only one thing that you're interested in, and that is fruit. In springtime, we've all been past orchards where the trees are in blossom. It looks wonderful. But really, that's not enough for the uh, horticulturalist. Frost may come and the blossoms that promise much come to nothing. If you come to Kenya at the time when the coffee trees blossom, it is not only a beautiful white sight, but there's also a lovely aroma coming from the hundreds, thousands of, of coffee trees. But the coffee farmer isn't really interested in all that. That's a good start. Unless disease-free, large red coffee berries weigh down the branches, then the farmer is not satisfied. Fruit is what is required. And what Jesus brings to us here in John 15 is this emphasis on fruit. So I'm asking you this morning, are you bearing fruit? What fruit do you have? Now, John chapter 15, for those of you who are not aware, it takes place in a room. We call it the upper room because that's where it was in Jerusalem. It's the night that Jesus was betrayed and the disciples are listening to Jesus' last words before he's crucified. And they are a troubled people. Jesus has told them, I'm going away. Now you imagine, he's been with them for three years. They have such hope that the kingdom of God is coming. And now he's telling them, I'm going, and where I'm going, you can't follow me. And so they are deeply troubled. Chapter 14, verse 1, he tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. He promises them the Holy Spirit. In a sense, that's the great promise that they had and that we have because Jesus is still absent in a sense, isn't he? He's not uh, physically with us as he will be with us 
in glory. He also tells them that you're going to suffer persecution. Just read John 14, 15, 16. Just as they hated me, they're going to hate you. So as they face the future without Jesus, yes, they've got the promise of the Holy Spirit, but how will they be faithful? How can you be faithful in your Christian life? Things can look pretty bleak and dark, can't they, for us wondering what is tomorrow going to bring? What are we going to read uh, in the newspapers? And so Jesus gives this wonderful encouragement. Oh, there's a great challenge here. The question, are you bearing fruit? Really, Jesus says these words to encourage them. I am the vine. So first of all, uh, Jesus says, I am the source of your spiritual life. Not you yourself. You don't have to look to your own resources. I myself, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, to the disciples who were Jews who were listening to Jesus, uh, they understood about vine. It was, of course, a common uh, plant. And often in the Old Testament, Israel, the Jewish nation, was considered as a vine. You might like to turn to Psalm 80. As it recounts the history of Israel. Just listen to the way Israel is spoken of. Psalm 80, verse 8. You brought a vine out of Egypt. Well, uh, you know that Israel came out of Egypt, don't you? But it's called a vine here. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. This is some vine, isn't it? That even covers the, the forests. The, the great fruitfulness of this vine. It sent out its branches to the sea and it shoots to the river. And then there's a lament. But the vineyard seems to be destroyed. What's happened? It all started so well. But ended up with nothing. And then another passage, and there are many, the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 5. Isaiah, chapter 5. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines, he built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, 
and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, and behold, an outcry. In the picture of a vineyard, God planted the vineyard. What did he expect? Fruit, abundant fruit. He expected Israel, having brought them out of Egypt, planted them in Canaan to be a godly nation. But what did he find? Unrighteousness. Israel failed to be the vine that God intended them to be. And so Jesus comes now in John 15. Did you know what he says? He didn't say, I'm the vine. He says, I am the true vine. What Israel was a symbol of, a shadow of, Jesus is the real thing. <clears throat> so the Lord Jesus is saying to them, you're going to get all your sustenance from me. And then the second thing that Jesus says here is that the Father is determined to bring fruit from the vine. The life for the Christian, for the church, comes from Christ. The Father's role as the vine dresser is to do everything to make sure that there is fruit. Now let's not look at this individually, which I think is the danger in our 21st century, isn't it? I mean, we're not individuals here, are we? We're together. We are one body in Christ. Yes, we may be individually joined to the vine, but we're all joined to the same vine. And I want this picture of God dealing with us, yes, individually, but as part of a church to come through. And there are two things that the vine dresser does. In verse 2, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And then in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Fruit is absolutely essential. If you have a tree that consistently bears no fruit, it's cumbering the ground, isn't it? Get rid of it. Plant one that will bear fruit. This is the emphasis of the passage. Now, there's a, a difficulty that some people have in verse 2. Did you notice the language? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. People have a problem. They say, 
how is it possible to be in Christ and yet lost? Well, of course, it's not possible. The Bible is quite clear that if you are in Christ, then you will be saved. I don't need to go through that. You can read John's Gospel where Jesus says, for example, that nobody can pluck you from my hand. John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. You've got to realize this is a, a metaphor. And what's true of a metaphor, a, a picture, is not necessarily true of the reality. Maybe if we look at it more in terms of grafting. Now, I'm not a horticulturalist myself, but uh, you can take a, a branch of one plant and you can graft it into another plant. How do you know that the graft is taken? Well, it's when you begin to see the, the buds and the leaves and the fruit on the grafted branch. But if the branch remains just wood, you know that the life from the tree is not flowing into the branch. It never was part of the tree. If you look at it like that, I think it will be uh, quite helpful. However, we must note the warning here. It's absolutely essential for everyone who professes to be a Christian, a disciple of Christ, to bear fruit. So we mustn't simply say, well, it's okay. I believe in Christ. Uh, I'm fixed up. I'm all right for eternity. Uh -uh. Do you bear fruit? Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So there is a warning here. We must examine ourselves, brethren, as regards fruit. And then there's a second thing that the father, the vine dresser, does. You see this again in verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So, no fruit, cut, burn. Fruit, not satisfied. There must be more fruit. And the way to do that is the pruning process. Every branch of mine that bears fruit, none, no disciple is exempt from the pruning process. Now, how does the vine dresser, how does the father prune so that more fruit is achieved? Two things. First of all, it's through specifically his word. As you read it, as it comes to you preached like this morning. Because what does it do? It comes to rebuke you. 
comes to correct you, comes to teach you, and then to point you towards and to train you in righteousness. That's 2 Timothy 3, 16. It comes to show you where you lack, where you need to be strengthened, where you need to be changed, so that you might be able, it goes on in verse 17 to say, you might be able to do every good work, thereby bearing more and more fruit for the glory of the Father. So how important then is the word of God to us as it comes to prune us, to correct our errors, to get us to give up our sins and our bad habits. But there's another way by which pruning takes place, and that is by God's wise providences. God brings things to pass in our lives that we would never choose for ourselves. But that's the way to prune us, to make us more fruitful. Now, this is true, is it not, in any number of areas? None of us as Christians go through our Christian lives, everything just constant, everything going according to plan, as it were, until finally we go to glory. For all of us, there are what we call ups and downs. There are successes and failures. There are the good times and what we perhaps mistakenly call the bad times. They're all providential times. God is in control, isn't he? That's one of our basic confessions that all that happens is in God's plan sickness losing the job difficulties in the family we can go on and on and on can't we failure an exams. It's not to excuse, of course, not working, but there are those who work hard and still fail. There are all sorts of circumstances in our lives that God uses to prune us. You remember Paul? He had, in 2 Corinthians 12, this thorn in the flesh. Now, if you've ever had an injury to your foot, then you know how painful it is because you need to walk. And so the natural response of Paul was, please, God, take it away. And God said, no, you need this thorn to humble you. You've had such great privileges spiritually, Paul, that your danger is pride. So I've sent this messenger of Satan it's called but I sent it God says in order to keep you humble to know your weakness 
And Paul had to learn that God's grace was sufficient and even to boast in his weakness. Actually, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. And it's a good thing we don't know. It means we can apply it. Because if it was a, a, a literal thorn and you've never had a thorn, it doesn't apply to you, does it? But this one applies to all of us. Think of people that we know. There's a, a Christian lady, now I think she's getting on in years like many of us here. Jo Johnny, I think she's pronounced. What a terrible thing happened to her when she was 16. That she was swimming, she went off a diving board, head hit the bottom, and she's been a quadriplegic in a wheelchair ever since. And you say, oh, God, what are you doing? But what a ministry she's had because of that. Not that any of us would choose to have that accident. God pruned her. And how fruitful she's been. There's McShane, Brainard, Christians of centuries ago who died when they were around 30 years of age. And you say, God, what are you doing? These are such useful people through uh, McShane in Dundee. There was a great revival. But God took him away. God's ways are not our ways. And we have to learn that God is determined to prune you and me as a Christian. Not according to your will, but according to his will to make you more useful. We need to learn to pray, not God, take away my problem, but God, will you sanctify Will you use the problem you seem fit to give to me to make me more fruitful? This is what should really fuel our prayers. Lord, I want to be a branch that's weighed down with fruit for your glory. And if you have to take me through the deep waters, I don't say that lightly because I've had troubles just as you've had. And they're not pleasant. No discipline is pleasant. That's why we need the word of God to come to us at times like this. So we're ready when those times come. The father then is determined to work on us that we might bear much fruit and we might glorify his name. There's the vine, who's Christ, and he's the source of our life. There's the father who's the vine dresser. He's the one determined to bring maximum fruit from our lives. Then, of course, uh, we are the branches. And without Christ you can't bear any fruit. That comes through very strongly, doesn't it? Verse 5. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. And he's talking to disciples. We need the life of Christ in us. We need the Father's pruning, wise hand upon our lives. Otherwise, we can't produce any fruit at all. This is a great passage, of course, about our total inability to do anything that pleases God of ourselves. Now, maybe you're asking, uh, what is this fruit anyway? You've been talking about fruit from the beginning. Uh, uh, what is it? Many people have jumped to this passage and they have said, oh, uh, it's evangelism. It's getting converts. And you look at yourself and say, I don't know that anyone has ever come to faith through my witness. And it can become very discouraging. Is that true indeed? I think if you look at the context, the perspective of fruit is far, far, far wider. Throughout this passage, Jesus talks about his word. He talks about uh, his commandment and he narrows it down, although it's an incredibly wide uh, commandment, to loving one another. Verse 12, for example, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Look at this fruit far more widely as a Christian character, as Christ likeness. It includes everything that Christ commands us uh, in the scriptures, not just being a witness for him. And so I want to emphasize to you, and I will be doing that again um, uh, this evening, the, the importance of keeping of the commandments and of particularly loving, loving one another as Christ has loved us. In the context here, here's the great fruit that we are to show in our lives. Surely this is one of the great differences between a Christian and a non-Christian. Paul says to Titus that before you were Christians, you you hated and you hate and you were hated. But now that the loving kindness of God has come in Christ, you've been transformed. Got that great passage in First Corinthians chapter thirteen about love. What can be more important than love which is patient and kind? Read about it in verses four to seven in that passage. 
we need to uh, understand that love is fulfilling the will of Christ, is fulfilling the commandments of God. And so I want to ask you this morning, in terms of fruit, how much love do you have? More than that, are you growing in that fruit? Because you see, the emphasis of the passage is not, oh, well, I've got some love, I, I've changed, I'm okay. The emphasis is this, the Father prunes that you may bear more fruit. Verse 2. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. How will that love demonstrate itself? I think in so many ways as we are gathered here this morning. You know, we don't come to worship as an individual. We come as a church. And we encourage one another. We address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Haven't we done so? I'm not doing it just as an individual. We come in the words of Hebrews to stir one another up to love and good works by our worship, by our fellowship uh, before we leave to go home. We express our love one for another as we gather together as God's people. One of the great ways in which we love one another is in the way we speak. Referring to uh, Ephesians and uh, chapter 4, in fact I want to refer quite a lot to Ephesians here as I apply this to you. says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. What do you want for yourself as people talk to you? Do you want to hear stories? There is no benefit? Do you want people to be angry with you? Do you want gossip? Don't you want to be built up? Isn't that love? You want people to benefit you spiritually, as is put there. You want to be built up. Do that to others. That's the way we show our love one to the other, as we benefit one another uh, through uh, our talking. You know, there are so many commands in the New Testament about how we relate to one another. Look here in Ephesians uh, 4. Let each one of you speak, verse 25, speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members, we are members one of another. Be kind to one another, verse 32. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love 
as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Verse chapter 5 and verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we could go on about bearing one another's burdens, showing hospitality one to the other. This is the way we show our love as Christians uh, in uh, the local church. And we are to be growing and developing and bearing more and more fruit <clears throat> in these ways. And then finally, perhaps some of you ask yourself, have I really got any fruit? Am I really concerned to come to the scriptures to learn what the Lord Jesus Christ has to say to me and then to put it into practice? You see, it's possible, isn't it, to open the Bible every morning, if you do. It's possible to come to church and the Bible's opened or it's on the screen there and it sort of goes in one ear and out of the other ear. It benefits you not at all. You're not seeking the word, saying, Lord, I want to bear more fruit for your glory. And if you're asking that question, it's the most healthy question you can ask, for, ask yourself. The most pitiable person is the one who goes along just saying, I became a Christian when I was 16. I put my faith in Christ and never question your life since that time. If you're joined to the vine, you are bearing fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, you better look again. What is the fruit that the word of God speaks of? And if you don't know, come back to Christ. Come back to Christ who is the source of all spiritual life. Begin where these disciples began, being made clean by his word. His word that speaks of forgiveness of all our sins. Even if you've been a professing Christian for 40 years, there's forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. His word makes you clean. And his word gives you life. That's the encouraging thing about this passage, isn't it? Many struggle. Many people make a profession of faith and they wonder, how can I continue on? Here's the answer. Through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in all those who believe upon him, you will not only continue but you'll bear more and more fruit. May this be a great encouragement to us. Um, uh, may you all come to Christ and find in him the source of your life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your very gracious word. We thank you that you came at this time when the disciples were troubled, wondering what the future held for them. Thank you that 
you told them what you and the Father would do for them. And thank you that you do it for us. Please forgive us, Lord, for our carelessness, for our lack of zeal for more fruit. Please help us to be those who carefully consider your word and find it powerful in our lives to change us for your glory. Please hear us and bless us, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.